0: Because ultimately what's happening is that we're activating this sympathetic nervous system response which is the stress response and for any kind of long-lasting change neurologically we need repetition and emotional elevation so if those are kind of happening at the same time as trauma or illness then the brain will wire them up and that's how we get a bit stuck with them we ultimately get stuck in this kind of threat response so the lightning process provides a kind of tool that helps people to, once they recognize those patterns, they will use this kind of exercise to reroute, to rewire their nerve pathways essentially and get back into health and life again.
1: Well, that's the voice of Lauren Stoney. She uses the Lightning Process, a neurophysiological training program to help people bounce back from chronic issues like burnout, anxiety, chronic pain such as fibromyalgia and long COVID. I'm Liz Earle, and this is the Liz Earle Wellbeing Show, the podcast helping us all have a better second half. And as you know, I am on a mission to find ways for all of us to thrive in later to life by investing in our health and our well-being today. And that's very relevant for me and for my family, actually, with today's chat, because I first heard of the lightning process from a friend whose daughter had successfully used it to help with the pain of constant migraine. Well, I pass the details on to my own daughter, Lily. As you may know, she's been battling very severe autoimmune issues, including migraine, for a number of years now, often causing her the most acute and debilitating pain. Awful to watch, of course, and to experience. Well, Lily did the course with Lauren, and it's been hugely helpful for her, reprogramming her brain in the way that experiences pain differently. And it definitely makes life easier and less painful all round. Well, so much so that I invited Lauren onto the show here so that she can share some of what it's all about with others here as well. Now, Lauren is a certified advanced lightning process practitioner as well as being fully qualified in coaching, hypnotherapy and NLP or neuro-linguistic programming too. In her own words, she, quote, lived life at 100 miles an hour, but then experienced the detrimental effects of that lifestyle firsthand. Well, I'll let her tell more of her story in a moment. But suffice to say, she found the lightning process, which, based on the science behind how our brains and bodies interact with each other, can give us the tools to positively influence our own physical health. So, can language brain training exercise and movement really change the way that our neurological pathways are activated? And does that in turn mean we can impact physical symptoms of illness? Well, Lauren, a warm welcome onto the show. You and I have connected personally before, but it's really lovely to have you here with us.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me on. It's, um, you know, I, I feel very passionately about sharing my experience with this stuff, but also raising awareness of it, because as far as I'm concerned, more, more people need to know about it. So thank you.
1: Well, a great pleasure. And, you know, I hinted in the introduction that you've come to this profession now, the coaching, the NLP, the lightning process, because of your own life experience. So what did your life used to look like? Mm.
0: It's funny, really, actually, because I have kind of come full circle. Because I, When I did, my, um, I did a psychology degree and I was going to go into health psychology as a master's, Looking at the link between stress and illness, and end of life, cancer, meditation, all that sort of stuff. But anyway, I didn't go into that in the end. And so what happened was I ended up pursuing this kind of uh, marketing career, and I was very, very passionate about what I did. You know, very. Um, I was nominated as a high potential employee, so I, I was good at what I did. But the interesting thing is when you have this kind of person who is very high achieving and very driven, but you combine it with a with a number of certain, uh, what I would call behaviors, like perfectionism, mm. being hard on ourselves and et cetera, et cetera, that is basically a fast track route to burnout and potentially a number of um, other kind of chronic issues. So in my journey, I basically burnt out in my job. I had um a number of kind of chronic stresses happen throughout the course of a year, including things like hip surgery and other traumas and various things, as as we all oh my as we all go through in this life, right? Everyone has some kind of trauma mm. or chronic experience. Mm-hmm. But anyway, what happened was eventually it just got to the point where my body was absolutely broken. And I had a couple of years where I just literally went through this boom-bust cycle of on and off just. You know, awful fatigue. I mean, to the point where literally people, you know, a lot older than me were overtaking me on the street because I was so fatigued. Really? Yeah, brain fog, kind of all sorts of horrible symptoms. Yeah. And no one could tell me what was wrong with me. So I went back and forth from doctor to doctor, had every blood test under the sun, I tried every alternative therapy. I tried every um, supplement, healing diet, bone broth, all this sort of stuff, everything, you name it, I did it. Mm. And eventually I was diagnosed with something called Hashimoto's disease, which is an autoimmune mm. condition of the thyroid. At that point, I was given a prescription for thyroxine, um, which if you don't know what that is, it tends to be a lifelong thing. It's not always, but it's. this is essentially what my specialist said to me. He said, you know, there is no cure for this condition. You just have to live with it. And at that point when I left, I'm over, I remember it very vividly. I left the hospital and I just burst into tears and I called my mum because I was so upset. Because mm. I think the thing, and you will probably know this from obviously having seen Lily's experience. The thing with chronic illness is it's not just the symptoms that are the problem. It's it's the feeling like a shadow of yourself and not being able to be the full yeah. version of yourself. Like that's the most heartbreaking Absolutely. thing. And so at that point, I was just so desperate to get my health back. A friend had told me about this thing called the lightning process. And um, I'd resisted it for ages. I said, no, 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 it's not for me. It's too good to be true, blah, blah, blah. And at this point, I was so desperate. I just didn't want to take the thyroxine. So I thought, well, I've literally got nothing left. Like, I've tried everything else. I might as well just give this a go. nothing to lose. Nothing to lose, exactly. Mm. Uh, Mm. So I did. And then three days later, sounds a bit kind of um, drastic, but I was burning all of my old medical records in a little fire pit. What? Because I just knew, I no. mean, I just knew that, like, I knew that I hadn't, you know, I wouldn't say I was fully recovered, but I knew that I was on that path and I knew that the the, the old Lauren was back. Um, yeah. And so that was the kind of beginning of it, really.
1: Gosh, that is, I mean, that moment must have felt incredibly liberating. I mean, I know Lily, over the last sort of five to seven years or so that she's been really struggling. You know, she'll she have little periods of remission and she'll start to feel good Mm. for whatever reason, but then she'll crash again. Mm. And so, you know, she reached the point and I know she's shared this on her social media, so she won't mind me talking about it. She reached the point where almost you don't dare want to trust that something can help. So when you do find something like this, I can only imagine your, your kind of euphoria, your sense of joy and, and relief.
0: Absolutely. And, it, you know, and this is what I say to all of my clients, that it is a journey and it is. And a lot of people I work with are very perfectionist. So they kind of want that instant result straight away. And when you have experienced a lot of the ups and downs, you know, one of my clients once said to me, I'll always remember this. She said, it's not the despair that kills you, but the hope because it does get scary to expect things to be better. And I think for friends and family of people who've done the lightning process as well, and I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here, but I think it can be hard for other people around them to invest that hope, even when you see such amazing things with the lightning process, because, yes. you know.
1: You almost don't dare hope. Exactly. I, I've been there. It's such a roller coaster. Yeah. Mm.
0: Um, so, no, it was amazing. And I, I went on to sort of rebuild my career and my health. And, you know, I got got the sparkly version of me back. and now obviously, <laughs> And now, obviously, I help people do the same. So, yeah.
1: Brilliant. Well, let's talk about it because it's a relatively new practice, isn't it? Developed in 1999 by Phil Parker. We'll dig into each area in more detail as we chat. But in a nutshell, what is the lightning process and how does it work?
0: The way that I would often explain it to someone is that, you know, if I was to say to you right now, wiggle your big toe. Literally, mm-hmm. that yeah, I know it makes you do it, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. The only mm-hmm. reason you can do that is because your brain is sending a message through your nervous system to make that happen. So the brain and the body are continuously communicating. And that's basically what the lightning process is working with. So the lightning process looks at, you know, what are the patterns that the brain is running to keep us stuck with chronic issues? Because essentially the nervous system is the gateway between our brain and our body. And with a lot of the issues that I work with, they are very much influenced by our nervous system. So in terms of the lightning process itself, the way in which it works is that people will be um, educated, should I say, around the very specific patterns that their brains are running that are keeping their nervous system stuck in this kind of symptomatic loop. So on the one hand, you have what I kind of refer to as the illness neurology, which are patterns around the symptoms themselves. So things like um, quite often, first thing in the morning, if someone is struggling with fatigue or pain, the brain will sort of do a scan of the body and check, well, how much fatigue am I feeling? How much pain am I in right now? And that's not to say that the symptoms are psychological. They are 100% physical. But we know that through that reinforcing loop, it reinforces that pattern. So it's this thing, that's one side of it. The other side of it is there are a number of what I call behaviours that can lend themselves to stuckness. So things like I've already mentioned, perfectionism, being quite analytical, being quite people-pleasy, being quite hard on ourselves. And they can feed into that uh, because ultimately what's happening is that we're activating this sympathetic nervous system response, which is the stress response. and. For any kind of long lasting change neurologically we need repetition and emotional elevation so if those are kind of happening at the same time as trauma or illness then the brain will wire them up and that's how we get a bit stuck with them we ultimately get stuck in this kind of threat response so the lightning process provides a kind of tool that helps people to once they recognize those patterns they will use this kind of exercise to reroute, to rewire their nerve pathways, essentially, and get back into health and life again. It
1: sounds almost too good to be true, you know, the kind of the brain telling the body what to do, because we're so conditioned to believe that the body has sort of got its own response mechanisms, you know, it's the cells that are doing the work, or there's some sort of pathological bacteria at, at work. How strong is the research then to actually support the Lightning Process?
0: There's a, there's a lot of research around it. I mean, the Lightning Process um, head office website has a bunch of um, research articles and signposts for that. Phil Parker has got um, his own kind of mind-body connection podcast, which is very interesting, actually. He does, um, he kind of interviews leading researchers in expectancy response, which is kind of like the placebo effect. Mm. But it's funny you say, you know, it's It's funny because when I did the lightning process as a client, despite doing, oh well, I did it out of desperation, not because I believed it would work for me, but... <laughs> I didn't really believe it and it still um, works. No, not really. No, that's it's amazing that I got the results I did actually. Yeah. And that's why I said Oh my god! I, I, I was
1: going to ask you actually, whether it is placebo, the fact that you're just willing it to happen. And then, you know, you think, oh, it's happening because I want it to happen.
0: Yeah, no, I would say I've actually just done, had a student talking to you about this, but I don't think I really, it's not placebo in itself because placebo is giving someone a treatment and then just expecting it will work. With the lightning process, you are targeting very specific pathways that are getting in the way of that stuck. And sometimes it's more than just, you know, there are other patterns. So people pleasing, for example, if you have a tendency towards people pleasing, then you're going to consistently be activating that threat response. So you need to work on that. It's not just the belief that you can get better that may be influencing it.
1: That is that is fascinating. How long then before you can see results? I mean, you talked about three days and you're burning your medical records. Does the rate of change depend on the severity of the illness or, or is it a more personal nuanced
0: thing Um, I well in the work that I do and on personal reflection I would say the rate of change is very much influenced by how much you believe I mean the, the clients who have come to me and said I absolutely know that I'm going to get this change and I'm going to get it quickly they have you know um, there's also something about how hard you are on yourself. And I think most of us can be exceptionally skilled at beating ourselves up. Yeah. Um, but there's yeah. certainly a, a very specific kind of shade of that kind of person who, if they all they're ever finding is evidence of their failings, then that that does tend to get in the way of a quicker recovery. But in terms of duration of living of something, that has absolutely no correlation to the rate of recovery as far as I'm concerned. Um, I've had people who've had lifelong illnesses bounce back quicker than people who've been ill for six months, say.
1: Gosh, that's extraordinary. And it's interesting, isn't it? We seem to be able to acknowledge that negative change can happen exactly. incredibly quickly. You know, We might develop a phobia overnight, for example, as a result of a trauma. But we're less open, aren't we, to believing that we can make a positive change just as quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And this is what drives me mad because, you know, I think we, we've got
0: we're through the lightning process and there are other brain training programs out there, of course. I guess
1: that's why it's called lightning. No, well, now I don't on me know that is because actually. It's quick. But yeah, I, think, I can't
0: remember the origins of it. <laughs> but, um, but you know, the thing is, there's evidence that we can get change really quickly and there's evidence that we can harness the power of you know brain training for physical change, yet it's still not normalized within you know a lot of, there is a lot of awareness about out there, but it's not normalized yet and it's like why isn't this normalized you know it's 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 incredible stuff so
1: So we're acknowledging then that symptoms are definitely physical, Mm. but we're using psychology and neurology to influence them. Let's talk a little bit more about that connection between mind and body, because what we're not doing is telling people that their illness is all in the head.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And that is quite a sore spot for a lot of people. I mean, when I was ill, I had a lot of, oh, it's psychosomatic. It's all in your head. Well, just because it's invisible doesn't mean it's psychosomatic. It absolutely is physical. But the way that I often describe it is if you were to, you know, whip out your MacBook right now, and let's just say I have the clever idea to smash up my keyboard. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The the thing is I'm damaging the hardware of that MacBook or that laptop. I'm damaging the hardware of that system. Now, if I was to get some kind of bug in that system, it's the software that's going to be affected. Now, the hardware is going to be completely useless without the software. Right. The software is what runs the programs. And in the same way, the brain and the nervous system, they're like the software of the body. The, mm. the brain and the nervous system tell the organs what to do. You know, they, they, they tell the muscles what to do, they, they inform everything. Without them, we wouldn't be able to do anything. So that's kind of the best way I can really explain it
1: that's really interesting and that that is a very very good analogy i think can you explain the concepts because uh, i've been doing a little bit of reading around this obviously and having had lily's experience of neuroplasticity in relation to the lightning process yeah
0: well with neuroplasticity i guess the the basic idea is that you're kind of um, with every single thought you think and every feeling you feel you are exercising that thought so quite often and you'll probably be familiar with this when i when i saw you last you know quite often when i do a workshop i'll say to people do you know how to type?" your shoelaces and they're quite often they'll look at me like I'm bonkers and say yes of course I do but the point is is that we learned to tie our shoelaces a long long time ago and now it's quite automatic we don't think about how we do it but the thing is learning happens across all domains so it's not just um, learning to tie your shoelaces it's things like anxiety fatigue confidence you know all the emotional things that we get stuck with all the physical things we get stuck with they are they are learned through the process of neuroplasticity so the more that we do that, I again, through emotional elevation and through repetition, the more that we kind of wire those things in. So coming back to what I was saying earlier about perfectionism and people pleasing, these are behaviors that will trigger the threat response. So it's a high emotional load. Mm-hmm. And if, if we're repeating them consistently over and over again, particularly in conjunction with the symptom, then the brain learns that they go hand in hand together and it wires them up.
1: And that's the neuroplasticity bit. And we do know now from talking to neurosurgeons and neurospecialists that the brain is plastic. There is this literal sort of plasticity to it that we can remold it, reshape
0: it. Yeah, exactly. It's like when you open up your phone, you know, and you're kind of typing on WhatsApp or on your messages and your your phone starts to predict what's coming up. Right. The brain does exactly the same thing. The brain will predict what's coming next based on what we're used to, what we're familiar, what we've exercised. So it's it's creating algorithms
1: all over the show, basically. So we need to rewrite those. Exactly. We need to, to wipe those clean and say, no, 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 just because I suddenly start to feel this or think about that, do not trigger the pain response because that's not going to happen this time.
0: Yeah, exactly. And if I was working with a client, what I would say to them is uh, rather than thinking about what you don't want to trigger, think about what you want to step into instead so that you're then kind of like, okay, that's the bit that's the exercising. So not only, and also you mentioned words, so... As soon as you say the word comfort, you know, your brain is going to there's specific parts of your brain will light up in response to that word and they will trigger the kind of neurochemistry Love associated that. with that. So it's literally yeah. like taking your brain to the gym, basically.
1: Gosh, I mean, so much of this, you can relate to things like positivity, affirmation, gratitude you know, all these things that we're hearing about in a a kind of more general sphere to do with wellness, but really focused in a positive way. Well, that feels like a really good moment to pause. When we come back, I want to really dig into the power of language and how it can change us. So, Lauren, let's talk about the importance of language then. Can you give us some examples of just how changing a few words can have a huge impact? You talked about the word comfort. You know, I'm thinking of the words like love and healing and calm. I I saw a brilliant one actually on your social media that suggested replacing I am an ill person in recovery with I am a healthy person rebuilding my health that just sounds incredibly powerful to actually say those it's it's like you're giving yourself an affirmation
0: yeah this is the thing there's so many different ways you can look at this as well so it's one thing I should be really clear about is that by using an inverted commas positive words because it's not about all being positive as such but what I call more useful words, we are triggering the chemistry we 're not den- we 're not denying that difficult things are going on we 're not kind of living in denial of the fact that we we have been uh, living with illness, but it 's more about well, how do I want to feel moving forwards, and how can I create more of that so by using words as a few different things the, the first thing on a kind of a more meta way of looking at it is that again, coming back to my lovely computer analogy. If you imagine that when you open up your computer again and you see maybe a PDF document or words on a screen, that's the front end of that computer, but none of that would be possible without the back-end coding, the stuff that's making that happen. Now with words, the words that we use are very indicative of this kind of back-end programs in our brains, essentially, so the beliefs that are fueling us. And... With beliefs, there's a lot of evidence, a lot of research out there to show just how much beliefs can impact the results that we're getting in our lives. So if we believe we're an ill person, we believe that we've got no possibility of change, yeah. then it's going to make it a lot harder to get that change. So just by starting to change our words, that's one thing is that we're starting to rewire those beliefs. The other thing is the kind of chemistry part of it. So if I was to say to you, um, talk to me about a trauma that you've been through, don't do that, but... Um, then Mm, obviously there's the memory side of it, but also the words are activating the kind of the meaning behind that. And that triggers that chemistry in the same way that, especially, you know, so uh, obviously Lily's you know had her uh, experience of pain. And so for someone like Lily, who's gone through chronic pain, the more that you say pain, her brain is already highly sensitized to the word pain because of what she's
1: been through. Absolutely. You know, I, I remember talking to her about this and she gave me some really helpful pointers, actually, which I'll pass on to others who may have relatives or close friends in difficult situations it's about how you treat and how you speak to those who do have a a health problem so you know she says to me don't ask me how my pain is today you know talk about um how joyful are you feeling Mm. today Mm. you know bring in other ways of getting the same response you know the same sort of level of concern and And care so that you know what they're going through, but really avoiding those reminder triggers, I guess, you know, even just saying something like, how are you feeling actually might not be very helpful. Is that right? Yeah.
0: And that's, again, it's um, part of the reason why that is for people who are stuck with illness is because their brains, again, come back to the neuroplasticity side of it. They've spent so long living in the darkness of that illness that is, you know, and people because people also know that they're not well, you know, it's the kind of the side head tilt. How are you? How are you doing? Obviously, it's coming from a place of concern and we all do that. But actually, it's not always that helpful because what it does is it invites them to think about all their problems because their brain has been very wide into that. I guess, again, what I should say is it's not about being kind of positive and happy all the time, because I think one of the things that I do see with my clients and with myself in the early days of my journey was that I became kind of scared of difficult feelings and things not being okay. And actually... You know, if something does happen, it's perfectly what we call, there's a term that we call life enhancing in the lightning process. So not positive or negative, but life enhancing. So if someone close to me dies, it's going to be perfectly life enhancing for me to feel really sad and to cry and to, you know, be in quite a negative headspace because that's okay. It's not going to be life enhancing to repress those feelings. So it, it, it is really hard for friends and family because
1: it's a nuance, you know, it's not um, black or white, I suppose. But that's such an interesting pointer and, and I'm definitely going to be avoiding the head tilt when I next see Lily, you know, sort of, how are you, darling? No, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll look her kind of straight in the eye and say, oh, it's so life enhancing to see you. You know, I <laughs> yeah. mean, it's just, it's just, you know, trying to get that, that positivity. You know, we're, we're hearing, aren't we, I think more about how toxic positivity is isn't necessarily a great thing. So are we kind of denying reality? You know, how how do you feel about that counter argument?
0: Yeah, exactly. And this is the thing I kind of, I I have have many rants on Instagram and other places. And this is one of the things that I rant about. It's not not about toxic positivity. And, you know, so we have, so if I, when I have a follow-up with my clients, the first thing that I will always say to them is what positive changes have you noticed? Because I want to get their brains actively searching for the positive shifts. Because when we're ill and when we're stuck, we tend to edit that out. But then I will go on to say, and where would you like support with? Where do you want a bit of guidance? What would you like more change with? So it's not about ignoring what's going on. It's about using your brain and
1: asking those questions in a slightly different way. Interesting. I mean, I I do that maybe even subconsciously with my youngest. You know, if he's had a difficult day at school or whatever, I won't start the conversation by talking about that. I'll say, you know, what was the best thing that happened Mm. today? Yeah, exactly. Let's try and get you into (laughs) in into a positive. Mindset. I mean, it's interesting because Lauren, you're also an NLP practitioner. Are there similar principles here? Many of us may already be familiar with neuro linguistic programming.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the lightning process comes from a few, was inspired by a few different areas. Um, Phil himself is an osteopath or was an osteopath as well, but NLP is kind of predominantly the area in which it, was, it came from. And and what's really interesting actually is with NLP, sorry, neuro linguistic programming, that the crux of NLP is it obviously it looks at language uh in a certain way but the very crux of it is looking at how do people do what they do you know how do we drive a car well that's kind of obvious but how do people get anxious how do they become confident because for every single thing we do we will our brains will be following a very particular process and once we understand what people's brains are doing we can then learn from them so this is where the lightning process came from, this idea of, well, how do people stay stuck with illness and how do they recover? And so that's kind of, it sort of came out of that.
1: Mm, interesting. And I know that part of this process is actually about talking to ourselves out loud Does that actually make a difference to just saying things to ourselves in our heads? It can often feel strange, quite daunting, even if we're on our own in a room to actually be talking out loud. It's not something that's kind of culturally the norm, is it? No, it's not. And I have to say, I talk to myself now more than
0: ever, having done this for however many years (laughs) I do. Um, the, The interesting thing is quite often when I first train my clients in this, some of them will really jump on it straight away. Some of them will look at me as if to say, are you serious? I have to talk to myself out loud. And the way that I respond to that is that ultimately we have all been talking to ourselves our whole entire lives. We're just doing it in a conscious way to get the changes we want in terms of doing it verbally. It's a good question. I mean, I have a theory on it um, from my understanding of neuroplasticity that when we explicitly verbalize things out loud, we are actually activating the language processing part of our brain. And that of course is going to enable a deeper level of processing. So I believe that speaking out loud is more powerful but there are a lot of other variables that go into it you know how you connect with it when you're saying it so if you're doing an affirmation and you're saying I want to feel energized like a bird but you're not really what we call congruent i.e connecting with it then it's not going to do as much as if you're literally imagining in that moment or picturing a bird or picturing or connecting to that sense of energy so there's a lot of stuff
1: that, that goes into it. Okay, interesting. And you know, you talk about imagery and the power of words. And I know that you also encourage your clients to reframe how they refer to pain or what's happening. So for example, if somebody is having a migraine attack, rather than thinking about pain, they're thinking about dancing bears. You know, and and so they'll say, oh, my gosh, my bears are having a real party at the moment. You know, which, you know, what's all that about? And how does that work? <laughs> what's all that about?
0: Indeed, I know. Um, I mean, this is also <laughs> one of the things that are linked to NLP. I mean, I, I use a lot of humour in what I do. Great. And yeah, I that think... That must really help. <laughs> yeah, it's very good for phobias as well, actually. Um, it's very good at disrupting the, like, very strong triggered neurology, I suppose. And again, it comes back to... It's funny, there's... Um, oh, I wish I... Kind of which you knew it was. There's, if you look it up, if you look up word atlas of the brain, there's um, some research that people did that actually shows the different parts of the brain lighting up in response to different words. Different words, word atlas of the brain. Something like so that, yeah. That. Yeah. Um, but obviously, again, coming back to this sense of like, well, if someone's brain is highly sensitized to the the, the word pain, it's going to be triggering those kind of pain chemicals or pain references. So what I often will recommend to my clients is that they either rename that symptom with something slightly comical or lighthearted because when you when you so let's say um I often call um anxiety Deirdre, for example. I'm like, oh Deirdre's just popped up, <laughs> really? you know, yeah. And uh No, but- that's so
1: funny. So Deirdre's come to stay. That's not a great thing, is it? Can you say goodbye exactly. to Deirdre? Exactly. I often
0: think of Deirdre Rashid in Coronation Street. Do you remember her? God, a long time ago that was. But anyway <laughs> yes. Um the point is it's re- it is rerouting your brain. It's made, it's not it's not okay. triggering the same neurochemistry as if you were talking about the symptom itself. So it's just another way of moving away from the illness pathway i suppose i mean i used to call symptoms stuff as a general kind of rule when i was living with illness because again the thing is what you're it's a fine line right because again it's not about denial but we want people to start stepping into the identity of a healthy person who is rebuilding their health and someone who is healthy would not use the word symptom or fatigue they just say oh, i'm tired Or, you know, so it's just doing everything we can to break down that kind of structure
1: Mm -hmm. of illness within the brain. Mm, Fascinating. Let's talk about the physical movements, too, because I know that is part of it. How might practices like tapping, for example, come into that? Are are there movements that can change the way your neurological pathways are activated? Mm, Such an interesting question, actually,
0: With, with, with the tapping. I've done tapping myself. And it works quite differently to to the principles of the lightning process in that quite often you'll be tapping and you'll say, I have you you actually reference the anxiety, for example. But as far as the lightning process is concerned and body movements, there's a lot of research out there that does show, well, actually, body body language is way more powerful than even the words we speak to ourselves. And when I am working with clients, I'll do certain exercises with them to sort of demonstrate that. So a really easy one would be, You know, if you were to say right now, you might try doing this, but if you were to, if you were to say, yes, Laura, and I really agree with you, but shake your head as if you're saying Mm. no, it feels weird and vice versa. So try saying no, I don't agree with you and nodding your head, yes, it kind of just feels a bit kind of, it's what we call incongruent. Right. Um, so ultimately, what what, the, what I'm saying is that the brain, if your body language is not aligning with the words that you're speaking or the changes that you want, your brain is simply not going to believe it and it is not going to trigger the
1: chemistry. It's not going to be fooled, is it?
0: Exactly. So there are certain body postures within the lightning process that that people are given in order to trigger the specific chemistry of what you want. So we have something called the choice position, for example. And the choice is about recognizing that, well, actually, you know, I could stay in this kind of pit, (laughs) or I could do something different. And there's a particular kind of gesturing, you know, when you're trying to make a decision. You're often gesture with both hands, your left or your right, and be like, "Oh, I could do this, or I could do that," and that's that's something that signifies to the brain that we want that we we do have options available to
1: us. That there's a choice. Yeah, gosh, that is so fascinating. You know, I know that you work a lot, particularly with high achievers. What is it about the mindset of a person who you know perhaps demands a lot of themselves that that they're perhaps more likely to see themselves spiralling into a burnout situation? Mm.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, I would say, and some people would disagree with me on this, but I would say almost everyone is good at perfectionism to an extent, but perfectionism is one of the key sticking points for people that is very, very, very common in high achievers. And perfectionism, just to be really clear about this, is not about wanting to be perfect. It's not about having high standards. Like you could actually have potentially quite low standards, but still be perfectionist perfectionism is about looking for evidence of everything that you have not done or have not achieved. So if you get to the end of the day and your brain's just thinking, oh, god I've got all this stuff left to do you know
1: you you're, you're describing me Lauren this is a little bit worrying yes well you know, it, well, just, it's <laughs> like yeah I, I totally relate to that but isn't that just a natural yeah it's very I was gonna say, isn't that just a natural part of being human that, that we don't kind of reward ourselves for our achievements we think oh gosh you know I had a 10 things to do on my list and I, I just did nine of them you know I'm, I'm such a fail yeah
0: yeah, I mean, I think it's it is very common, but there are certain um, some people might be more excellent at it than others, should I say? So mm, a good example. I, often, I love
1: that framing. It, yeah, a good example. <laughs> I'm better at being bad. Yeah, I've had people.
0: Yeah, that's that's one of the key things in the lightning press, actually. But um, okay. You know, when I did my masters, for example, I got a distinction, and you'd think, well, happy days, great, but not in the perfectionist mind, because what my brain did was it said, well, actually. No, I didn't deserve that distinction. The course tutors were just giving it to me to make the course look good. So a perfectionist brain will never be able to really claim their successes. And so especially in the context of health and burnout, you know, your brain is constantly finding evidence of where your body is failing, for example, or... You know, so I think within the highly driven kind of individual, perfectionism and being hard on yourself, those two things
1: combined are, are lend themselves highly to this. And also, perhaps if you've had an upbringing where a lot's been expected. of you, Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and, and you, you hear about the tiger mums in Asia, you know, their kids will come back from school and say, wow, you know, I got 99 percent in my maths. And she'll just go, oh, what God. happened to the 1 percent? Yeah. Yeah, You know, it's, you know for, for those of you who can relate to that story, it's, you know, nothing is ever good enough. And, you know, you, you need to try harder and achieve more, which is often said as a parent with best intentions because you want to push and encourage and, and to, to draw out the best in your offspring. But maybe perhaps later life, it, it does backfire a bit.
0: Absolutely. And when I work with people on perfectionism, the thing that I will get them sort of training their brains in is this sense of like being satisfied Because we can, one of the kind of misconceptions around getting rid of perfectionism is that, oh, well, I'm going to lose my drive. Well, no, you won't. Actually, you're going to be much more productive because you can get to the end of the day and say, do you know what? I'm really happy with that and I'm excited to look look at what I can do tomorrow rather than beating yourself with a stick and saying, oh, I'm a failure. Which then also feeds this kind of fear of failure, which then means that you end up fueling your kind of working pattern with anxiety and overwhelm. And it's those things combined that really... um, feed into it but sorry I'm going off on a tangent there I could, I could talk about this for hours. Yeah no no it's,
1: it, it's interesting I mean talk to me a little bit about the busy brain and how especially with work when you know we feel that we have to do something or we need to finish it that's just adding to our burnout or, or as you might call it our stuckness.
0: Yeah yeah exactly and it's that kind of again it comes back to the more that we exercise those pathways the more that becomes our norm and our reality and this is where you know the busy brain it's just that kind of con- constant state of overwhelm is it is and, you know if i'm just going into an office and kind of coach people on this they'll say but yeah but i am really busy and it's like well i'm sure you are really busy but also because your brain pathways have been practicing this busyness for so long that is, you're, you're only going to find more of it again, it's negative editing, that's perfectionism. so you're not looking at what you have done mm. which just makes it feel like a constant you are know, you
1: saying though
0: that we should never be negative? Definitely not. No, absolutely not. So a lot of people who do the lightning process will come to me and they'll say, "But Lauren, I'm a really positive person and that's very true for a lot of people I work with. but it's about how you're channeling the negativity because quite often people can be very positive about the world around them but they are very negative towards themselves. And that's where it becomes an issue. And that's what perfectionism is about being negative on yourself, you know, finding evidence of everything you're not doing. And actually, in fact, you know, there's a guy called um, Kamal Ravikant who's got a book called How to Love Yourself. I think it is something like that. But he's done a really nice podcast, which is ultimately about perfectionism and burnout. And he talks about this idea of focusing on the process, the effort, not the outcome. And I think with perfectionism and this kind of negative thing, we, we get so caught up in tick, 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 you know, do, do, do. Yes. Whereas actually what we want to be able to do is look back on ourselves over the course of the day and say, do you know what? So for you, Liz, I look back on myself and say, do you know what, Liz, I did a really good job of being a human today. Right. Like that's, that's what we should be doing, yeah. right? It's about intention. Yeah. That's, that's what's important.
1: It's, it's so fascinating, Lauren. Uh, so sort of to finish, presumably the lightning process is not just about rebuilding health. But it's about then feeling able to excel in, in work life, in our social life, in our love life, in, in, in all areas.
0: Yeah, well, it's funny because within the first sort of 10 minutes of the course, I'm usually saying this to people, the Lightning pose actually has nothing to do with health or illness, funnily enough. It's, it's really <laughs> actually about how do we live our best lives. And the only way we can do that is by understanding how other people and how we can be excellent at the things that we want to do. So, yeah, it's not really about health or illness at all, in fact, but obviously it's become very good at um, dealing with those issues. So quite often some of my clients will use the lightning process to fix the problems they've they've come with, but many others will go on to recognise that it's a tool they have for life. And yes, they can use it. I mean, I still use it now for different things, you know, so relationship work, all sorts of things. So, yeah.
1: Lauren, I think that's a very positive note to end on. I'd just like to say personally how grateful. I am to you for the work. You've gone above and beyond, I know, with Lily and with others. And we are so grateful to you and thankful for having found you. And I hope that this does help lots of others. What are the best ways for people to contact you and to find out about more?
0: I'm fairly active on Instagram um, and I've got a website that has a kind of uh, booking, I could do like free intro chats. So if people do want to sort of book in with me that way, they can do. And give us the names of those. That's a very good point. <laughs> <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> my website is laurenstoney.co.uk and my Instagram handle is Lauren Life crafting
1: Brilliant. Thank you so much, Lauren. It's lovely to chat to you. Thanks, Liz. <laughs> Oh, lovely stuff, wasn't it? So encouraging, so helpful, so valuable. It's going to help many. Don't forget to share it, will you, this podcast with anybody that you think could benefit from the lightning process. Well, for more on chronic fatigue in particular, do please take a listen to our episode with another Lauren. This was Lauren Windus from a couple of months ago. She's written a brilliant book on chronic fatigue syndrome and long COVID and how to recover. And she actually covers the lightning process as of the book, which I thought was very interesting. And of course, we've also had conversations about NLP with Paul McKenna, the amazing hypnotist, and tapping with Poppy Delbridge too. Lots to uncover. And if this episode has piqued your interest, we have a fascinating new one coming up with Thomas Curran talking all about perfectionism. Yeah that little word that can do so much. You won't want to miss that, I can tell you. So if you're keen to listen to these or any other episodes ad-free, of course, you can also subscribe to the Lizard Wellbeing Show Plus. That's on Apple Podcasts, and that's just for a very small monthly fee. Once you're a subscriber, you also get 24-hour early access to all the new episodes. Are you conscious of how you talk to yourself, of the story that you tell yourself about any of your physical Physical symptoms. Maybe that's made you think after listening to today's episode. I'd love to know. You can get in touch with us on Instagram. We are at Lizal Wellbeing that's the whole team and me. If you want to find just me, well, I'm there too. I'm at Lizelle Me. And don't forget to sign up to the free weekly newsletters because these are just filled with so much of the good stuff. I really genuinely don't want you to miss out. Completely free. There's no need to pay to subscribe. If you don't like them, just unsubscribe. We don't sell your details or do anything like that. It's just a free resource for this wonderful wellbeing community. Now, the Liz our Wellbeing editorial newsletter comes out each and every Friday and then there's a separate one which is the Liz Loves discount code newsletter this is where you get all the money saving deals and the cost cutting codes etc. That comes out on a Tuesday they are separate newsletters you do need to sign up to them both because of the wonderful world of GDPR we can't send them both to you you have to sign up to them both separately to allow us to send them out to you but it's super easy to do just go over to lizourwellbeing.com you'll find the links and you can have yours sent to you free of charge and I hope you enjoy and of course lizarwellbeing.com is the place to go for more on living well especially in later life there is lots to get stuck into there so until I'm back with another episode next week go very well goodbye The Lizard Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Liz Earle, and is produced by Anoushka Tate for Fresh Air Production, with additional production support from Ellie Smith. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so
2: much more. Plus.